Greetings, friends. My name is Jessa McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution that we know we need. All right, so amidst all of the smoke in Toronto, we do have a new mayor. It was a race, the Toronto mayor by-election. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about here. Obviously, Olivia Chow took the victory home. Is it a victory for progressives? You know, we're going to talk about that. Obviously, time will tell, but we want to give our two cents now. We're going to break down some of the campaigns, but the election itself was, it felt different, Santiago. Do you not? Yeah. Like, I normally don't want to talk too much about an election after the fact, like just the results, but there's a lot that happened during that I think we need to break down, you know, for future elections and what that means for Toronto politics as a whole. I think we learned some stuff about Toronto and yeah, <laughs> a lot of people had some big egos. I think that played a big role in these campaigns. Um, how were you feeling that last week going into E-Day? Did you think Olivia would win? I, I did think she would win. I thought that, you know, just I've never seen numbers like where she was polling ever really been overcome given the kind of emotional context that Toronto is feeling in where yeah people were paying attention but it didn't feel really it didn't feel like an election season in the same way you know I feel like there was a lot of people who kind of sat this one out myself included to a certain extent you know like I didn't I didn't really get involved in the same way like it, it was it's a weird feeling election. It felt very different. I mean, of course, like the context of having just had the election a few months ago and just all, all everything that's like just been leading up to this one. It, it's just felt so, so strange. Like, it's just not typically how I've seen elections go in the past. And I, I don't really I didn't really know how to read it. And like going into the end of it, like I didn't really hear that many people, like, you know, in day-to-day -day talking about the election. Really? You know, people... You're in the city, so, like, you would have a better idea. I thought there was a bit of buzz, but mind you, I'm on TikTok, and Chloe Brown dominated that space, as did a few other candidates, right? And social media was just buzzing in different ways. One thing I also think that's unique is the level of provincial politics that played into this. Huge, you know, yeah. not just Ford, but the Liberals weighing in and clearly the Ontario NDP. And it did feel really partisan, even though there are no parties. There are like those staffers were knee deep in these campaigns. So it was kind of playing out. And yeah, the elephant in the room there, like we got to break down like Ford endorsing Mark Saunders at the last minute. Um, for me, that was really unusual, really late in the game. It was such a bad maneuver. I, I don't think anybody 
at any point, we didn't give Mark Saunders any credit in our original episode, right? When we were breaking down, we're like, no one's going to vote for Mark. And in the end, we were pretty much right. There were some polls that had him a little bit higher, but in the end, he was definitely not going to be Olivia Chow, not with any endorsement. And so some people looked at it as like, oh, Ford just told everyone to go vote for Olivia. But the reality is there's a lot of places in Toronto that still vote for Ford, right? That that still vote conservative. There's a lot of conservative voters. We'll break that that right wing vote down. I haven't seen all the breakdown of the different regions, but I'd be very curious to see like Etobicoke North, Etobicoke Center, Etobicoke Lakeshore. Like how how did that vote end up going for Saunders? Because I know like the the core of the city was obviously very strong for Olivia Chow. Tobacco's traditionally been, you know, like Ford Nation. I, I wonder how much weight that carried. I also wonder why he didn't back Anna. You know, she had really strong numbers. She was surging. You know, his buddy is basically running her campaign. You know, like these were connected entities. The same unions that backed him backed her. And, you know, we use unions in quotation marks there. But it was... To me, why? Like, some people, it's misogyny, right? Well, we also know he's racist. So, like, really, what was his motivation there? Like, he would throw his hat in the ring like that so late um, and put a target on him like that, you know, for anybody who thought Mark Sanders was dead in the water, which he was. To me, it was just a really peculiar move. It's strange from a a policy perspective, too, because, like, obviously... Him and Anna were aligned on, like, the whole Ontario place thing early on, right? Yeah, she almost seemed to have the inside scoop there. That's exactly it. Like, their plan was identical, it seemed. And, like, we know from her voting record, she would be a fantastic ally for Ford. It shows that, you know, maybe there's there's a lack of unity on on the right that, that maybe we don't pick up on all the time because... They're so good at, like, being cutthroat, vicious, and just, you know, the second someone uh, is no longer useful, they, they cut them loose and, and jump on them. You know, like, they're, they're usually so unified in a, in, in a very scary, bad way, I, <laughs> you know? I so wanted to, to blurt out, it sounds like you're talking about the NDP. <laughs> I don't, I oh. think all <laughs> po- politicians just have ulterior motives and and use your usefulness dies out pretty quickly but you're opening up a topic i definitely wanted to hit because like the right wing vote is there for a toronto to have another tory i broke down the numbers pretty unscientifically right wing left wing votes and the right had it won right so when i'm talking right wing i'm including anna bylaw mark saunders anthony fury brad bradford chris sky and those votes add up to 350,000. Let's, let's give Olivia Chloe's votes. And reluctantly, I gave her Josh Matlow's votes. Okay. And she's still short at 323, 323,000. So if those egos hadn't played, like everyone kind of watched this campaign going, okay, who's going to back out first and who are they going to endorse and that didn't happen at all i'm not going to count gil penalosa at the very beginning because we kind of knew that was going to happen as soon as olivia came yeah, in yeah but, but other than but, that but credit okay like, and he was he really was excited at her victory her. party so yeah. that was nice to see um some friendliness in politics but to be honest you know i was surprised that they 
you know, the right wing establishment wasn't as tight, you know, just like you mentioned, like there was some rifts there that played into their loss. They could have taken that mayor with those strong mayor powers. And I feel like Ford played a big role in that loss. But so did Mark Saunders' ego. It, it comes back to what I was saying last time we were talking about this, about my fear of a Super Tuesday-esque disaster, right? Like this whole time, I was just waiting. Everyone drops out and backs one candidate. And I feel like we had a, a miniature version of that without the dropouts, where, you know, there was that last-minute endorsement uh, from John Tory for Anna Bailao. And, and there was a lot of press saying, you know, like, oh, is Olivia Chow, like, done for, you know, like, and and there was a Toronto Star endorsement, you know, there was, like, a, a bit of, like, a blitz right at the end. All after the advanced polls, where we now know that that race was won at the advanced polls. Yeah, and it was, Those like... Those were all very late endorsements. What went on? Did, it, it had an impact. Like, it... It did. But it Anna. was not enough. It was not enough. But it does make you think, like... What took them so long? This was like the obvious thing that we were waiting for. We were waiting for that to happen. Well, I guess maybe that front runner was never obvious enough. You know, like it was never clearly Anna. It was never clearly Mark. Um, And so maybe they didn't know what horse to get behind. Like it was just not clear. We knew. <laughs> we we said it was Anna when we were talking about we this. We like I feel so I, validated. We we had that pegged. We said Anna's their person if they want. Like I, I said, Mark Saunders. There's no way because he's not popular enough with the conservatives. Brad was a walking disaster, and he got the one percent that he deserved. But it was obvious. I, I don't know. To me, it, it was it was pretty obviously Anna Bailao. Anna had a fan club of sorts, right? They haven't tweeted much since they lost, but there was a few Twitter accounts that I know you love to follow. How much of an impact do you think they had? The the citizens campaigns? Yeah, if you can yeah. remember their handles, shout them out. I, I um Anna yeah, broke I, it. I, Anna broke it. Was it like Two Face Brad and I forget the Mark Saunders one? Um I think honestly, honestly, they had a bigger impact for Olivia Chow's victory than any person on her campaign because I think I, I know they, I'm screwing my face up at Santiago right now. They early on were hitting constantly, hitting on points that were getting across that were resonating. You could see the impact. Brad Bradford's an excellent example where early on he was polling much better and he was slowly destroyed by this there was posters all over the city there was posters of Anna Bailao all of the like I, I I saw the impact that these were having I believe that it was decisive especially when you see how close it came down to, at the last minute and the, the thing is that they were also getting a lot of attention from the campaigns themselves right like the the Brad Brad Anna Bailao campaign like they were they were noticing these and they were quite annoyed at that. I think they just fueled the fire there. You're, I think you're best off ignoring stuff like that if it happens to you as a politician because, yeah, yeah, you're just adding to the algorithm as far as I understand it. But it's interesting to see like there was brick and mortar, kind of like there was on the ground organizing in that respect because obviously I'm 
about an hour north of Toronto, so I'm not seeing the posters, just the online fodder. And it was great, you know, seeing some of the candidates get absolutely ratioed when they tried to, you know, claim they were something that they weren't. There was always fact checkers there, you know, to remind voters what they'd actually done, you know, what they were famous for. And I thought it was funny. Some people didn't had never even heard of Anna Bailao, like that didn't realize she was the one of Tory's deputy mayors. She hadn't really made a name for herself, but uh, she has now. It's not like she and it's not like she was trying to highlight that past at all. No, she tried to appear as liberal as possible. No, exactly. So, no, I, I think it had a really big impact. And I also, like, just from, like, a personal level, like, I'm, I'm quite just happy to see that kind of campaigning where it, where it's it's people who care holding politicians accountable in an effective way on the public with, like, no budget, no anything, you know. Like, and, and, and I remember it was so funny because those campaigns, they kept accusing them of being, like, these dark money-backed, like uh, secret campaigns for Olivia Chow. No, they weren't. They had no money. These were very easy things to, uh, do. to edit. Yeah. And, and they were just speaking the truth. I think we've seen a lot of that recently and a real need for it because, as we know, there's no accountability in governance at all. And so, you know, we had TTC riders on and they were talking about how a big part of their project is just making sure that politicians deliver on the things that have passed in council that have been promised and then just don't appear. And I just recently this morning was looking at Toronto Housing Now and how they, you know, spend their energies and limited resources on making sure that the promises and, and, and budgets set out by the mayor are realized in, you know, the housing realm and the need for people to do that is exhausting, right? Like it's needed and I'm glad it's there and it did have an impact, but that's becoming a new real reality for folks to have to split their energies in once you even secure victories at council to making sure that they come through or, you know, holding people accountable that they're not just able to come online and say that they've been a housing advocate while they've been on Toronto council for 10 years, you know, and it's been anything but, but I'm going to disagree with you, obviously. I was screwing my face up when you talked about it, you know, being more impactful than anyone on Olivia's campaign. And just from working campaigns and seeing the advanced poll numbers tells me there was some really good organizing happening on the ground for her campaign. Now, when Progress Toronto is behind you and you run an institute that literally trains campaign organizers, no doubt you have got volunteers coming out (laughs) of every corner to help you. You probably don't even have to pay most of them because it was such an important election. And, you know, Olivia has a really good fan base that are trained organizers. Because she killed it in the advanced polls. And usually it's the most well-funded, organized campaigns that are able to get their asses in gear fast enough to pull the early vote. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're on campaigns and you are still figuring out your calendars and stuff. And you're like, "It's, it's the advanced polls in two days. You know, like it's that comes quick. 
so you need to be ready for it. You need to be organized. You need to have a lot of people out there or calling to make sure that people get to those advanced polls. They're not just doing it because they're inspired. It was a decent voter turnout. I thought that was interesting for a by-election. By-elections normally have low, but I guess this had a bit of a buzz around it. But I mean, 38% is supposed to be, it's better than last time. Gotta be honest, feeling the mood in Toronto, 38% is good. Considering we've seen the trend in voter turnout, yeah, like, and for a by-election that's in the summer, that still has COVID, I know people pretend that it's not there, but, you know, it all plays into this, and yeah, so 720,000 people still came out to vote. Um, Do you know in 2014, it was 60% turnout? Yeah, I feel, but I feel like that was... a different time it was was, and it was an anomaly and you know rob ford um that was the one he had to drop out where he had cancer treatment and so like toronto needed a a new mayor for sure but 60 percent is incredible so you know there is potential to get torontonians to vote in massive numbers so i don't blame you for thinking that it was a little bit quieter than you would have thought it would have been but clearly olivia chow mobilized a lot of people And, uh, you know, it paid off. The margin wasn't as great as I think people thought it was going to be because of the polls. Right. Remember the polls? She was always in the 30s. And then the right wingers were like floating in the teens. They started to eke up there a little bit. But but let me maybe be a bit more specific about what I meant. Like they did a good job in like those specific like organizing elements. But I feel like there was a certain timidness to yeah. her messaging. Uh, I think it was very much a, we're in the lead now, let's not do anything to mess it up kind of fear. You think that's energy. what like the no platform strategy was about? You know, there was nothing to critique either? Yeah, I think a little bit. Like, I think, like, you know, just being Olivia Chow in this moment, in this context, was doing a lot. And I think that if it wasn't for the hit that those those other camp those citizens campaigns did very early on to the the, the three stooges, I think it would have been a lot more difficult on her end. And Either way, like it, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll tell you, her social result, camp- her yeah. social media campaign was garbage. Olivia Chow. Yeah, it was garbage. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think a lot of it. Like, I, I think I, I barely saw anything come from her. Because well, and even if you did, it wasn't organically being shared, really, because it was just uninspiring drivel. It was just her standing in front of the camera saying politicky stuff. There was nothing creative about it. There were no major promises for people or, you know, things to get excited about, right? So, or even complain about, right? There was really nothing to them. Right now is the perfect moment to bring up someone who I, who did the opposite, I think. Chloe Brown. With Chloe Brown, right? Like, I, I think that's, that's really where this criticism, a lot of it, is coming from, too. I think she did fantastic in my opinion and and not there's numbers and then there's also just like what people are saying and and, which i think is equally important in a way in this moment because like obviously would take 
it would take something truly extraordinary for Chloe to have run the race. Um, being someone who had relatively little name recognition, like she she wasn't she wasn't gonna win. But I think what she did do was capture the hearts of a lot of young people in this city. And and I can say like and I know anecdotal evidence is not the strongest form of evidence, but from my personal experience, a lot of my friends who are who are progressive, but they're not, you know, they 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 don't spend their times thinking about politics. They're not very like involved. Um, they would come up to me and they'd start talking always about Chloe Brown. Like, hey, what do you think of Chloe Brown? Have you heard of Chloe? You know, like, and and they were so genuinely excited about her. I I knew people who didn't live in Toronto. Like, I have friends who are, live in Mississauga or who live in the York region who were coming to me and talking to me about Chloe Brown. And there was such a like enthusiasm and exciting of like I've never seen anyone like her. You know, she's the person we need. She inspires me. You know, this was something I, I heard over and over again from multiple people. And I was just thinking, man, she's like, especially with how much I respect the people who are saying, like, she's doing something right. You know? Yeah. And I think even though her numbers dwindled from the last campaign, I hope that doesn't disappoint her. Because it was a completely different race. There were many other progressive kind of choices out there for her to be able to even get the numbers that she did, uh, considering the amount of candidates that were available. But I think clearly she demonstrated she shouldn't have been left out of the discussion so much. We didn't make that mistake, but most media outlets did. And most progressives did who are of the strategic mind, right? Where that we're going after the very clear W um, probably didn't give her enough credit either, right? She was kind of pulling votes from them and that might've been a problem from them. But, you know, she did get 18, almost 19,000 votes, probably with very limited budget. I would like to know what, get a breakdown of her numbers if we can, because that was the thing we talked about when she was on with us and when we were talking about her campaign before is just how many votes she was able to garner on such a shoestring budget. And that's a little bit of the power of social media, but also the organic nature of her campaign. Whereas, like you said, like people were getting inspired and then putting in the work and like really getting wrapped up. So I think it gained momentum as it went on because it was kind of gathering like a snowball, uh, people getting excited about her. It's the way she speaks, I think, that really allowed her to utilize social media in the way that she did. One really clever thing that she did is because she wasn't invited to any of the debates. Well, maybe not any, but hardly any debates. She used the footage from the last mayoral campaign where there was fewer candidates on the ballot. And so she was getting the invite and really was able to recycle that footage and because her message hasn't changed she remained consistent her ideas are clear well articulated and the way she speaks truth to power like it's nothing right the way that it's almost a smugness and I hate that word because it has like negative connotations it comes from a place of confidence though that she knows her ideas can work she knows that she's not beholden to anybody but herself and, and like the community around her. And it like radiates from her. Right. There's a re and people can hear that genuine voice because it's so odd to have a politician speak that way. 
right, to speak so candidly and to scoff at some reporter's questions because they're trying to shape the narrative and she's just not having any of it, right? So um, I want to know more about her campaign. Like, I want to talk to her campaign manager. I I definitely want to dish. So, Chloe, if you're out there, um, we're going to reach out to you again because I think that's where the lessons got to come from. Those campaigns, Olivia Chow, too, like, seriously, like, probably Progress Toronto and a few other key players, they did pull out a victory, right? They did put that together. Olivia decided pretty late. So this wasn't a long campaign. This was kind of thrown together and, um, you know, they earned it. But Chloe Brown definitely earned our admiration. And, and like she, she, she earned like the like honorable mention, like award of just like most impressive campaign, in my opinion, most like she she won she didn't like I said she didn't win to vote but she won the hearts of a lot of people a lot of people and she represented voices that were not being heard and you know I mean she she was also when she came on she mentioned about um about how n- the northern suburbs of Toronto you know aren't aren't don't feel as represented and she had like that criticism of of Olivia Chow about how and 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 the left and how they 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 reach more the core city of Toronto and not so much you know North York and 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 you know what she was right looking at the breakdown on the map right like Olivia did pull that Toronto city of Toronto vote and the North went to Anna Bailao and I, there still isn't strong answers of what to do about that about how to to reach those people and I think. I really want to see what comes next for Chloe because I know she's a voice that her community needs and I think she's going to do great things. Can you imagine combining the social media savvy and, you know, the straightforward nature of Chloe's campaign with the organizing machine that rallied around Olivia? Right? If you could bring those forces together you could have a really left-wing mayor. Like, I know a lot of people are really excited about Olivia, and for sure, considering the polls, that was the best possible outcome. You know, Olivia is good people. Um, You hear the trepidation in my voice, so anybody that is in proximity to power or partisan politics, I have a hard time trusting. And, you know, I think, Chloe kind of melted that away in people. She felt like someone that you could organize with, speak candidly with. And, and you know, um, she would tell you, you know, if she didn't like your idea or that wasn't going to happen, you know, like I, politicians, you just don't know what you're going to get. So here we are kind of holding our breath, hoping that Olivia Chow is everything that most people made her out to be right and delivers but and I, th- I think it is the right attitude to have though right like it's not a good idea to right now have that partisan loyalty i think where it's like yay we win our person's in there no like okay now there's <laughs> a new mayor of toronto <laughs> yeah no exactly it's like no now there's a new mayor of toronto and it's our responsibility to hold that mayor accountable and to fight for our ideas and to make sure that the issues that matter are being represented in city hall that the proper policy is being passed that is what our responsibility is now and that 
It's such an important point because I, I mentioned earlier, my fear is whenever the left wins, my fear is that we, we, we feel a little too good about it and we forget that the real work is in the streets. We become that, complacent to a degree, right? Yeah. No, it's like, no, the, politicians passing bills won't sol- solve our problems for us. And Olivia still is in a city council that does not have enough progressive city councillors. Don't forget about those there. strong mayor powers, though. But in the end, she's always up against Ford. and But she's saying she's not going to use them. At all? She says she will not use strong mayor powers. Um, okay. Uh, so that's, that's like thing, an right? out for me already. Like, not as in she's out. Um, that's like an excuse that can be used. Why, like, radical things need to be done in the city right now. Right? I, this isn't a democracy we live in anyway. If someone's handing out strong mayor powers and you fight tooth and nail to win them, use them. Like, that's unreal to me. Anyway... Okay, that's... I'm just going to double check my work here. <laughs> Before I go off too much. I, I, I remember... Okay, while you... I remember her saying that. Sorry, yeah. No, it, you know what? And again, only time will tell, right? Because anything anybody says on the campaign trail, once you're kind of getting into the thick of it, you don't know what's going to happen. I would definitely not complain if she used them, you know, for the right reasons. Um, oh, yeah. Obviously, she, I'm going to be... Said, a she said this after the election. Um, if she would, re- she was asked if she would rethink her promise and not use strong mayor powers. She said, "I believe in democracy. I do not want to violate the principle of democracy because that is pretty sacred." Oh my god, that is just pure garbage, right? Like, you know, money runs a campaign. You, you know, this isn't a true democracy that you participate in it fully. Okay, so. I'll tell you what I've heard from Olivia. I wasn't going to kind of go here, but now you've got me kind of fired up. What I've heard from her since she's won has been really troubling. And I know she doesn't get to pick the questions that she's asked, but she does get to pick the words that come out of her mouth after. And we know politicians answer what they want to answer. And if they want to get a message out there, it gets out there regardless of what question was asked of them, regardless of what the theme of the interview was. And we needed someone to come out and say, like, that they were going to do some really transformative things. And instead, we've gotten quotes from her like, I'm going to, we have to make sure we can harness the power of homeowners and allow to, so they can more easily become landlords and low rises. And no doubt that housing needs to be built in the city, that there are multiple ways that it's going to have to be done. And yes, there you're going to have to work with the private sector and developers. But why is that what's front and center coming out of your mouth after this victory that everyone held their breath for? Why isn't it something relieving? Why is it? Why are you even speaking to homeowners? <laughs> you you won. You don't have to talk about lowering taxes, higher taxes, nothing. It's done. They don't even get a choice anymore. Now you speak to the people who helped you win your campaign. Now you speak to the people who are absolutely desperate for something different. But no, you're speaking to private developers and talking about how you're going to speed their request through the approval process and how this new missing middle that she kind of doesn't even seem to fully understand, but provides a solution just to homeowners and like the rent control units that she suggested are totally inadequate if you're just going to start turning every homeowner into a a potential landlord. So, um, but I think Desmond Cole, (laughs) so before like negative Nelly takes over in me, um, because I do try to remain hopeful, but I'll, I'll be honest, all my hope is lost in electoral politics. Like 
I, I, I don't know. Even if Chloe had won, I'd probably be sitting here going, yeah, but she's going to be up against this and that. And like, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just really, you know, pessimistic about it. But Desmond Cole makes me feel better. <laughs> he makes me feel okay about feeling that way in his most recent article for Ricochet Media. He calls it, with Olivia Chow, Toronto might be worth fighting for. Would you? I, I, I sent that to you. Had you already read it? And I want to know what you think. No, even that headline is spot on what I was feeling. Is more like, like I, I was losing like that. Oh man, like just it's so like, difficult to. Like I was done with fighting and electoralism in Toronto at all, right? Like, there was just nothing that was going to happen. And I, you remember, I was like, man, we just need to, like, take everyone and, like, put them in another city. Like, you know, like, I was like, this city is so, like, fund Like, it requires such a fundamental restructuring. Uh, I, I was feeling really down in that. And now it's like, okay, now it seems like there's something worth fighting for. That is exactly how I was feeling, like, of... If we fight, we might actually get something here. We might actually be able to improve people's lives. Those things you said, though, aren't competing. Like, you still can have no faith in electoral politics, right? That's what Desmond Cole was saying in his article. Yeah. Absolutely do not put all your faith or all your hope in Olivia or all your condemnation, right? Like, that's not fair to do either. Yeah. She can't do it all. Because it still needs to be done on the street. It still has to be done in movements. We still need to be demanding housing as a human right. And, you know, on all levels, right? Municipal, provincial, federal, and then making sure we do that community work, right? None of that has changed. And in fact, it, it should continue to ramp up because you have an ally, right? It shouldn't let, we shouldn't let anything down, you know, because, you know, we got a W. <laughs> it and I know that there's a lot of leftists who, who don't even believe that, and that's fair. Yeah, no, th th there's reason to to believe that. There's reason to be skeptical, and yeah, no, there's just there's so much left. It like the state of the city right now. There's just so much that like even working round the clock and passing all the policy, it's not going to be enough change quick enough and we still have a lot of work that needs to happen on a local level in communities and one of the problems also was that the previous governments were actively making it difficult to do the work in the streets and i'm hoping that now it'll at least be a bit easier to do that and like just as an example you know with with encampments Hope I like I, I don't know. It's I think it's a reasonable expectation for me to believe right now that like there there won't be any more encampment evictions. Uh, Santiago's facing I, my I, stare again because <laughs> I you know her voting record on that though, right? Yeah, Not necessarily on evictions, but on Nathan the, Phillips. Yeah, Nathan Phillips Square. So yeah, change, I, I, I do think though in people this context, change. I. Th I, I think in this context of today, like I would, I would reasonably expect that to not be a thing. Which at least that's one issue that, like, what what, what I'm trying to say is like, I, my hope at at the very least is that we have we can stop dodging punches and we can start 
fighting to build stuff better because there's also just a lot of work that had to be done to just counteract bad policy that was being thrown at us bad things like fighting like actively things getting worse and i'm hoping now that instead of so much energy having to go to like actively fighting those battles we can put that energy into actively building new things into improving things as opposed to just trying to survive which is kind of where we were at right on so many levels it feels like we're always just playing defense or voting for harm reduction, I think, is a way I've seen it phrased that really captures how most people feel like when they hold their nose and go vote and all knowing that nothing will really change in their material lives, right? Nothing substantial from will happen from any one election in any, any of our nation states, to be honest. I have an anecdote about that, by the way. Um... The day before the election, I had a friend call me uh, to ask who who they should vote for. They want to because they're like, you know, Santiago pays attention to these. You should things. have set up a one eight hundred number or something. And, and they were really excited about Chloe Brown, and then they were like, "Okay, but do I have to? Do I have to strategically vote for Olivia Chow? Like, I really want to support Chloe Brown." And I was like, "I, I'm at such a point, I cannot." I cannot tell you to vote strategically. I I cannot. Like it's so like it's such a ridiculous game. And you know what? Right now the the numbers are good enough that I'm just like vote with your heart. You know, go like if 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 Chloe Brown spoke to you as a person, if she inspired you, I'm okay with. It. Like like please do what you feel comfortable with. Please don't play that game because at the end of the day it's it's relentless every single election we're being told to vote strategically and like i i just didn't feel right telling her otherwise and that was interesting for me to have gone through you're not being fair <laughs> enough though i don't think like you're making it sound like it's purely emotional right like and it's not i want to say that voting for the candidate that you think your values most align with, regardless of the polls, is a strategy. That is a strategy. Sending a message in the number of left-wing votes, right? Like, because I still look at the city of Toronto and I'm still looking at the accumulative votes and seeing that there's so much work to be done, right? But if we got people that really, like, we made sure they, the spectrum was clear, you know, like you're not even voting for a candidate. Show me where you actually are on the spectrum. That kind of vote that has value that adds momentum, right? Like that allows people to see that there's room for candidates like Chloe Brown, right? That they they can get people behind them. And if they only had the backing of Progress Toronto, can you only imagine what she would have done? Right. So it's not just an emotional thing. Like I hate politics, but I know I have to vote because people tell me that's really important. <laughs> and so I'm just going to vote for the person I like most. Like it's not as flippant as that. That takes a lot of determination to not vote with this ABC nonsense that has just failed us so many times over. Right. Because it, it one, it plays into the narrative that the election results are somehow actually meaningful. <laughs> and in the end, we know that they're really not going to be that meaningful, right? And so you're like, well, I've got to vote for the winner. Um, no, you don't. 
because it won't matter. And and it's important that people remember that when they're at the ballot box, that that isn't dropping that piece of paper in that box. Your job is not done. Even if your bestie is mayor, your job is not done. Right. Like Desmond Cole reminds us that, you know, even if she had a perfect voting record and had all only greatest things to say about the work that she's done, the you still need to be holding to your values and making sure that there's that pressure from below, constant pressure from below. Because I see a lot of people trying to dismiss, like, this is normal for me, though, because I critique the NDP and people like, you shouldn't do that because you're just helping conservatives. And so now Olivia's mayor. I don't like what she's saying. They want me to be quiet for a bit. They don't know how long, right? They want to give me, give her some lead time, see what she does. I don't do that. I don't think anybody elected or has earned any kind of benefit of the doubt. I'm sorry. You are now the powerful and I hold you accountable. I don't care what colors you flag you were waving on your way in. I absolutely don't care. When I hear you talking to homeowners in your first interview, I'm going to say something because I need someone to be reminding her that she's not speaking to the right people. Right. And I think that's where those movements that we've seen that we talk about on the show all the time. They're going to play a key role still. Right. Yeah, if if she wanted the benefit of the doubt, she needs to come out um, when her victory speech and say, like, these these are the immediate thing. We're going to do this immediately. I'm going like these are our immediate priorities and they have to be bold. They have to be. I don't, I don't have an adjective strong enough like it, it needs to be. Something. You can say radical, and even though we know in our yeah. heart it's not. That was, I, I was forgetting the word radical. I, you know what? That, that's why. I mean. Sorry, I'm, I'm all over the place right now. I've been in a move and everything. That's the word I was looking for. It needs to be bold and radical. Like it needs to be radical. She needs to come out with radical promises day one. We just won. This is what we're doing. We're already setting the gears in motion. This is what's going to happen. You know, and and then she has to do it, and then. She gets some benefit of the doubt, but but I kind of it was a bit weak, you know. Like she's saying that she's going to do stuff, but it's she could do more. She has the power now to do more. So do more, you know. Uh, I'm hoping that's exactly what we're going to see. The other thing about people voting strat- strategically, you know, even though I kind of don't like that term, is you're putting a lot of faith in polls. <laughs> And we've talked many times on the show how polls have been misleading. Um, they're occasionally funded by politicians. I mean, when it comes to Chloe Brown, how much better would she have been doing if she had actually been included in the polling early on? Great point. Because for a very long time, they did not include her name in the polling, right? Like, that that's another thing. And that is by design, right? It wasn't just that... Chloe didn't have a big enough name. I mean, she ran. She was like one of five or six candidates in the last mayoral election, right? Like she she didn't have like a big name, an Olivia Chow name. But to the people who are covering the Toronto mayoral elections, they knew who she was and they knew exactly what she stood for, right? Where it didn't, it wasn't actually clear what Olivia Chow stood for, right? With that platform and the way that, you know, these really broad kind of statements that, you know, anybody can get away with things that even Anna Bailau was speaking in, right? Like the need for housing and stuff like that. So it's what she represented in that grassroots and that really combative against power that, that there's no space for that in mainstream media, right? That is not welcome. I I did get a kick out of the polls that happened right before E-Day 
So the day before E-Day, one of the polls released had Anna just a few points shy of Olivia, right? They were both in the 30s. And the uproar that occurred on social media, people were like, Anna paid for that. Who published that? This is garbage. You know, um, you can't trust these polls. And that was the only poll that actually was anywhere near the actual results. And people were shocked. And so I wondered at that point if that played into, you know, that extra push for Olivia on E-Day. Because it looked like Olivia had it in the bag at advanced polls. Right. Her, her campaign was probably counting the win and, you know, they saw it. And then we get to a point where Anna is within a few points. They must have been nervous because even I texted you at one point during counting of the ballots that night. I was like, are you seeing this? Because she's ahead by, I think, like 20,000 votes or something at one point. <laughs> I had made the decision at that point beforehand. I was like, I'm not going to. Oh, no. I, I'm, I'm going to wait for them to confirm who won i'm not gonna play it again because i know i've i've, I've done it so many were you times still watching, watching or did i somehow all. expose you when you were trying to <laughs> no when you texted me i hadn't been watching i'm so anything. sorry i was minding my business i was walking down the street i must have given you anxiety i know i did i'm sorry and then i was like and i was like oh no i have to check what, what what's going on and i was like oh Oh, uh, I thought I thought there it was. I thought it was. I was like, no, because you I, never I, can I, trust I, the I polls. You, you, when people are asked on these phone calls who you're going to vote for, sometimes there's hardly any thought. They've got dinner on the stove. There's kids running around. Someone spits five names out at them. They pick them. Are they going to even go to the poll? Like when you have a 38 percent voter turnout and that's something to get excited about. You don't know if the, any of these people polled are actually motivated enough to cast the ballot. So I never trust the polls. So that did worry me when I saw that. It's also worth mentioning that momentum counts for so much in the last week, right? Like, you want to know when polls are wrong the most is when there's big swings at the end, right? Because when, when one candidate has been ras- rapidly m- rising and... There has been a lot of narrative around the fact that they're rapidly rising. You're talking about Anna. People are sitting for, well, as an example, but not necessarily exclusively to Anna. And then people are sitting in in the booth about to vote. You know, they think about that, you know, like, oh, you know what? That like how many Mark Saunders voter potential? You know, I mean, pretty much every Brad Bradford voter apparently went through that. Right. Because he got. Like a percentage. I'm not even sure he won his own ward. Like he he pulled like almost no, he, he less than two percent in his own ward. Yeah, it, it's truly truly an embarrassment and uh, fantastic. And anyone want to hire? Was it Ontario Proud that ran his campaign? Or it seemed like they were heavily involved. Yeah, I, I, go ahead and hire them. They do a great job with campaigns. Anyways, um, I'm sure a lot of Brad Bradford voters, potential Brad Bradford voters, were thinking, you know what. Right. Well, Josh Matlow had a post and he admitted that his supporters were reporting that they had voted elsewhere, that they had voted strategically. Now, he doesn't say which way they win. I would like to get a poll that tells me if you were a Matlow supporter through the whole campaign and you end up casting a ballot differently, was it for Anna or was it for Olivia? Because to be looking at that campaign, I don't know if, if I could tell, to be honest, but 
I, I, I think, think a lot I of people it, were getting those calls on E-Day, right? We're like, did you vote? And they're like, yeah, I did, but I didn't vote for you. I'm sorry. You know, I went with the <laughs> the horse I thought could win, right? By the way, w- one person we haven't mentioned yet, and I, I, I still Maybe it's understand on purpose. so little. Uh, no, M- Mitzi Hunter. Okay. She Just, gave up her position to run for this that? campaign. <laughs> what was that? I, I swear to God, I, I haven't heard her mentioned almost at all and at one point i saw somebody who was like excited about her on twitter and and i felt compelled to comment like hey what are you excited about here like i i genuinely want to know what what are your reasons for supporting mitzi hunter over because like i've heard next to nothing about her and I, they could not respond to me. Like I swear, they must. I don't know what it they was. They didn't have an answer you could even they, remember. They were like, po- they were like posting her website. And he's like, here, read the website. He's like, no, I, I can read the website. I want to know why. Like, what? Why? Why did you specifically choose Mitzi Hunter? Because I, I don't understand it. Nobody's talking about. And like her numbers weren't terrible, votes. considering that no. we didn't even think to talk about her in our episode, and I didn't hear much about her either. But yeah, she's lost her seat now, and I don't know where that leaves you. That it was an odd move. And Brad Bradford, like I think, has destroyed hard. his political career in in his campaign was so bad. So that's a good thing. <laughs> oh, it's good. I wonder what it's going to be like seeing him in uh, city council things now. There's quite a few faces there that have been competing against each other for the last month that now have to sit around and supposedly work together. The vote breakdowns moving forward are going to be very telling. Sure. I, I think I think it'll be interesting also just I think Josh Matlow will he'll he'll be an ally of Olivia's in in city council, I think, at the end of the day. Um I hope you're right. But she doesn't need any more enemies in there. It'll be they have to change speaker now, right? Or like there's the Please opp- tell d- me uh, yes. I don't know, but I hope well, so. I, I don't know what the process is, but the speaker I, I Francesca or whatever her, I, I forget. Francis Nunziata. The worst speaker I've ever witnessed in my life. So horrible, hostile horrible most person. of the time. Oh yeah, just I I would really love for like I don't know. I don't know what the process is. This is where like my knowledge of procedure ends. I don't know if the mayor gets to choose the speaker, if the speaker is voted on by well, the in the in the legislature council. they vote, right? You know, there's a suggestion is put up and it has to be like approved, but it's it's a lot of political maneuvering in the back that usually makes. But the I decision. think it would be, I think it would be really funny if like, you know, one of the more progressive city councilors ended up a speaker, like just that, that change the dynamic and just Brad Bradford having to to deal with I, I look forward to Brad Bradford having a bad time in city council is kind of what I'm saying. Like Yeah, well I just love the feeling that he'll be like Olivia's gonna get there in that big ostentatious chain, right? That he's been coveting for so long and he's just gotta sit there and he's now just reduced to a single vote. Um I hope he's been humbled by the process because that jerk dragged his wife and newborn baby out on the campaign trail when he had those dismal numbers. Like, are, those people need to be resting, um, not used as political props uh, for a useless campaign. But do, do you think I'll still get kicked out of city council? <laughs> yes. At this point? 
yeah, yeah. I don't think the yeah yeah it, you're still in the same institution my friend like that's what I'm saying she cannot transform the place that she's in and she clearly doesn't even want to make many waves right she's not even going to use the superpowers so she's going to be a total conformist when it comes to how council operates I believe and um but she's going to have a lot of organizers that put in a lot of time and they've got issues that she better be talking about right like I don't know what her funding was like, but she is beholden to the right people, at least. Right. She's going into this new job of hers, making promises to a lot of very organized, politically minded people. So I hope they all agree with Desmond Cole and his analysis that the job you know, is not done. In fact, it's time to kind of double down. I'm just going to read a little quote from his article. And folks, you got to go back and read it. The link will be in our show notes for sure. He says, Chow's election presents a better chance for Toronto's leftists and progressive forces to grow, to reject the urge to tie our hopes to a politician, and to continue building something more enduring and people-centered. And he goes on to just write a fabulous article on, I think, how a lot of progressives should be feeling, you know, wrestling with these trust issues (laughs) that we have, um, but also wanting to... for once, just sit in a victory. We don't get them. We don't get them very often. And I know, like, Chloe Brown maybe not feeling this is a victory, even though her tweets after were very practical. You know, it didn't sound like she felt like it was a loss. She understood what her impact was on making sure certain issues were talked about and centered and the connections that she made in the community and stuff like that. So I I think she does see incredible value in the work that she's done. And I'm glad for that. But yeah, there's um, there's some work to be done, but victories are nice, too. Right. It felt good to be or even just a sigh of relief. Even if you saw it as harm reduction, it was nice to breathe a sigh of relief, especially with this smoky air everywhere, you know? Yeah, it, it was nice to just like be able to just feel like there's a chance things will get better a little bit. You know, we didn't lose this time. At the very time. minimum. <laughs> Yeah, like at the very minimum, some things might improve. And, you know, like there's also little things about it that like, you know, one takes comfort in like the fact that Olivia Chow is like the first mayor without a driver's license as somebody who also doesn't have a driver's license and bikes around. And like, the first racialized mayor. Yeah. You know, which that I shouldn't be forgot. a hurdle in the city as as no. diverse as, our, as we are. But that's the reality, right? Like racism exists in... And the way people perceive leaders, it's terribly problematic. So there are many victories in her victory. Uh, Also, I think the proof that comes with getting organizations to rally around a single candidate with the amount of organizing power that they hold. Oh, you you know, I just want to give a quick mention to a tweet uh, that was a response to one of your tweets. I I forget the exact wording, but it was uh, something along the lines of like, you know, what would what would you do like well i asked people what their first item on the agenda would be if they yeah. were toronto's mayor and someone uh, bob something i think it was i forget bob the chandler name, but he, yeah yeah and he he mentioned about how he would like cut uh the power and and services to all uh federal and provincial <laughs> i'm so glad you brought that up because when i chloe if you're listening we love you but when i asked you that question when i asked chloe the question like okay you've got some great ideas right like 
but you know someone's not going to like them. Ford is not going to like them. What are you going to do to make sure Toronto gets what it needs with a politically vindictive premier? And I wanted her to say, I'm going to fight like hell. I'm going to use whatever thing. And Bob just had the answer for me. That's what I wanted to hear, like disruption, unusual tactics, right? Not a vote in Toronto Council to not use the strong mayor powers. Like, no, I wanted a, I wanted a militant mayor. So uh, I'm working on Bob's campaign whenever that time comes. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh. Um, no, seriously, folks, I, I hope we can just kind of sit in the, the mini victory that we have and also be really realistic as to the limitations that exist in these systems. But we thought it would be fun to to break down a few of the campaigns and, and what we thought of this victory and of Toronto's new mayor. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.